Welcome to the Riverdale Writers Room, a fan-made podcast where two girlfriends compete head-to-head to predict the series finale of Riverdale before it airs. Together, we will embark on a three-phase journey wherein we'll rewatch the series, write our own version of season seven, and then compare our own creations to the real deal. Is Riverdale truly unpredictably campy, or can we successfully hack into the psyche of the writers? Join us as we try to conjure the spirits within the real Riverdale Writers Room. There is no single way to tell a story. You're each to write your own version of the ending. In whatever style you choose. Best story wins. Challenge accepted. Alright, welcome to the Riverdale Writers Room. My name is Katie. My name is Chantal. And we've got for you today, chapter 126, Betty and Veronica, Double Digest. Shall we begin? Yeah. Who do you want to start the recap with? I kind of want to start the recap with Veronica. Oh, okay. I want to save Betty for later. Oh, (laughs) i feel like i have more things to say about betty i agree okay let's do veronica get rani out of the way not out of the way but you know out of the way (laughs) (laughs) let's start with veronica so it all starts with veronica our first sighting is during the Veronica makeout mm-hmm. in Betty's fantasy. I get a bingo checked off. You do Veronica kiss. Veronica kiss. Do I get half a bingo for <coughs> Veronica hookup? How do you get half a bingo? To these teens, this is hooking up. I don't know. <laughs> how, how logistically would half a bingo even work? It's like, instead of an X, I would put a line. <laughs> um, but it's still marked off. What about a tiny X? <laughs> a, a half an X that's like horizontally half. So like a greater than sign or a less than sign. Because if you put those next to each other, it would make an X. I see what you mean, but I don't understand how you think that's an answer to my question (laughs) (laughs) my question is how does that work (laughs) points wise (laughs) i understand different ways of visually representing half of it but bingo (laughs) is not a point system it's an all or nothing (laughs) why though that's just the way bingo is. Have you ever played bingo? <laughs> you either get the point or you do not. That's so mean, though. That's just how the game is. It's the, the little ball that comes out of the cage has a letter and a number. And if the letter and the number are not a letter and number you have on your board... You do not get the point. Riddle me this. If at the end of bingo, you discover your numbers weren't even 
available to be drawn would you not get them as a consolation prize what do you mean <laughs> riddle, riddle me this <laughs> if a half a bingo ball <laughs> rolled out but it had the number correct on it maybe that would be half a point or like half of the number was gone <laughs> so like there was no way to know what number it was <laughs> It's, I can't see that happening. Okay, so not everything needs a real life analogy for it to be true. And I just feel like I should get partial bingo. I, I think I can grant you the acknowledgement <laughs> that a Baronica makeout is adjacent to a hookup. Um, but I don't think I can grant a full check off on your bingo if you, because this is farther from your bingo than Kevin getting hate crimed was for mine. So if you want this, I have to get Kevin gets hate crimed. <laughs> he was hate crimed by his father. You're negotiating with me. But, well, that was more representative of what happened in the show than a Veronica hookup. Okay, I will give you Kevin gets hate crimed. Under the conditions? Under the conditions that I get Veronica hookup. Because we both used extreme language in our bingo boards, but the spirit of what we said was true, I agree to these terms. Okay, I'm so, I love doing business with you, thank you. <laughs> Me too okay <laughs> so well, anyway let's get back to the prime girl boss that was the longest digression we've ever taken it was we're not even that's even in betty's story that's not even veronica you're right that's just the first time we see veronica so the beginning of veronica's story is her james dean double feature which i did predict you by get that point Looking very closely at the preview. <laughs> you get that point. Excellent. Thank you. And Veronica's giving out free tickets to the Babylonium. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, because movies make all their money on concessions. That's right. Um, according to her and her little silly bellhop looking ass GBFs. Why? Why is she dressing them like bellhops? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is that really what they wore? I can't imagine. Well, I mean, they're kind of like ushers, like for a fancy building to let you into the building. They and they kind of are like bellhops, but they do more than a bellhop. I don't know. Moving on. Veronica goes to the locker room to personally invite the Bulldogs. Specifically, she wants to invite Reggie. Reggie reluctantly agrees, and Veronica goes back to the Babylonium. There, as she's preparing for her event, Kevin and Clay tell her that the prints that they received are overexposed and the film is useless. Downstairs... The students are rioting. They are getting restless and antsy and they will burn the place to the ground if they don't get a refund for their snacks and drinks. Afterwards, as she's refunding everyone their entire money, 
So they made zero dollars that night. Reggie approaches Veronica at the counter and actually doesn't ask for a refund. But he will accept a rain check from Veronica on their date. So after Fangs and Cheryl lead the charge to burn the Babylonium to the ground. Oh, remember when Cheryl said it's like Jimmy Dean died all over again? (laughs) Yeah. That was funny. She's so dramatic. The president of the Riverdale chapter of the Jimmy Dean fan club. Also, this is right here where a character named Mr. Roth tells Veronica that there are no more available prints of East of Eden. And he makes a Clay Montgomery reference. And a Clay Montgomery joke is on my bingo board. I don't know that I would call this... It's not Clay Montgomery. It's Cliff Montgomery. I confused him with Clay. That's okay. I don't know if this is a joke, though. But it is a reference. Okay, fine. I'll give it to you. Okay, thank you. Don't punish me for specific language. Fine. Anyway, is it Montgomery Clift or Clift Montgomery? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Does it matter? I think Cliff Montgomery. It would be silly if his first name was Montgomery and his last name was Cliff. Cliff is a No, his name name is Montgomery Clift. Really? Yes. Montgomery is first. Well, who cares about him? Right. This was an important moment, actually, because the mentioning of Montgomery Clift was actually my KO moment. (laughs) KO. Really? Yes. (laughs) Ross and his old tricks. Exactly. I was like, I knew this was coming. It's just silly. It feels a little bit... um, it, It feels like Ras added us with this. Because we always talk about that Montgomery Cliff joke. We always talk about it. We do. We talk about it every time it comes up. We talk about it in reference to Glee. And we've said, we've mentioned it several times that this is a trick that he has probably specifically done several times. And he did it again. Well, I don't think Ross listens to us personally. No. But I feel like our vibes (laughs) were picked up. Or maybe he's just predictable. Maybe. I don't know. I kind of want to hope. I kind of want to hope he listens. Anyway. So that was my KO moment because I was just a little bit shocked that he would do this again. Even though he's already done it in Riverdale. There was also a cheeky mention of the musical movie Oklahoma. Which makes me think it might be the musical episode. There have been many a musical reference without a musical episode, though. I don't know that we've ever gotten a hint. There was a twinkle in her eye. (laughs) We have gotten hints because for Heather's, um, Cheryl said something very 80s. (laughs) Like the episode before. Yes. The episode before because it was already decided by then. At the end, she was like, we're doing Heather's. There was a reference to Wicked Little Town before they did before they did that musical that's a reach that's a reach i'm afraid i don't know i'm just saying this now so that if it does end up being the musical oklahoma because i'm not changing my prediction i think i should get half a point for seeing the the twinkle in veronica's eye that made it a hint 
Okay, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know that it will, but I am putting that out there in case it is. She's also talked about singing in the rain. That's true, but I think Oklahoma is more likely than singing in the rain. So it's like a, a high school musical. Like, everyone has done Oklahoma, I feel like, you know? Anyway, that remains to be seen. Yes. So at this, this is the point where Veronica makes some calls to all of the little studios and she finds out no one can give her any movies. And she finds out that her parents have sabotaged her, which I think we should both get a point. Okay, I agree. Um, I also think I should get a point for Kevin and Clay helping her. And she says things like, get me a studio on the phone when they're talking about B-list studios and they hop right to it, start making phone calls, doing their silly little GBF bellhop things. Her gay servants. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I predicted she would use them as gay servants in their stupid little bellhop uniforms. And I think I should get a point for this proving my point. What was your specific prediction? You told me not to get hung up on the specifics <laughs> with you. So don't get hung up on the specifics with me. But I'll find it anyway. <laughs> Kevin and Clay are going to do some silly little things trying to support her while wearing their little bellhop looking ass uniforms. But that's obvious. It wasn't in the trailer. <laughs> Fine. What points did we just say? We both get a point for the Lodge's meddling. You know what? I will accept half a point for that. Okay, thank you. Because it's a little amused, as you say. Listen, okay. How about I won't punish you for specific language, but I will punish you for too vague of a prediction. Okay, fine. That's fair. But I do think, since I named it GBF Servantry... <laughs> Did you really? No. <laughs> Not in my notes. I believed that. But <laughs> I was like, okay. That's, you have that. that's the core of, of that moment. I was like, she's going to use them. That was the core idea behind me writing it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I meant was that like she was going to use them as servants. Okay. As like GBF servants. That's, how, that's what I envisioned. I wrote it in a nicer way. Okay. I shouldn't be punished for kindness, but I'm going to take the half point on this because I think you're right and I will not be as vague moving forward. Okay. I'll say what I mean. All right. That seems fair. Cool. When we come back to Veronica, she's picking up food at Pops. No, um, no, 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 no. Yes. No, 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 okay. no, no. Then correct me. Clay suggests that they do B-movies. She already has the crawling eye. By the time she's at Pops to talk to Jughead about it, right? You're right. You're right. I forgot about that. I thought we already established they decide to do B-movies and she gets the crawling eye. You're, you're skipping over the contribution of Clay, who is also there. <laughs> we can't forget Clay is also there. Clay was also there in that moment. You're right. The most common sentence written <laughs> on this podcast. Clay is also there. <laughs> verbatim like we both have written that so many times he's that's just what he is he's there he's just also there (laughs) why did they write another like student of color into this if they're not even gonna give him dialogue that's relevant if they're just gonna make him a gbf servant clay you're a silent gbf (laughs) 
who was also there. Let him speak. (laughs) Tabitha, you're on tour for like 10 episodes. Tony, you're the only one left. And most of her plot is your pussy whipped to a white girl. (laughs) You're right. Figure out the racial like dealings of that. She's really married to the Shoney plot. Yeah. Hopefully now that they're now that Tabitha's back, now that Tony has decided she wants to pursue the literary society, hopefully things will be better. So after the crawling eye is established, Veronica goes to Pops to pick up dinner. There she sees Jughead, approaches his bench. He's clearly in the throes of a depression. And she's like in his little den, his makeshift home at Pops. Um, and she asks his advice. And he basically says to do a gimmick like D-Box or Shrek 4D. And she's like, you're so right. That's a great idea. <laughs> Just like Shrek 4D. Just like Shrek 4D or, or the D-Box seats. Do you remember D-Box seats? Do they still have those? I think so, yeah. They just like rumble and shake around. The Avatar one was really popular, right? Yeah. I saw Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two in D-Box. It was honestly a little underwhelming. It really was. Actually, it might have been part one. I remember the chairs being totally still when Dobby died. (laughs) (laughs) Would it have been funnier if they shook a little bit though? (laughs) That would have been funny. <laughs> Your chair gets whipped back at the same time the knife goes in. Stop. <laughs> that would have been so funny. They should have done it. Ugh, cowards. Anyway. Where were we? Shrek 4D. Oh, Shrek 4D, of course. Uh, we both get this. Yeah. There was some 4D stuff going on. However, I think I should have one additional point. Because I wrote that... She hires people to dress up and scare people during the movie, which she does. She does. She hires Archie and Reggie. All right. I'll give you an extra half a point for specifics. Yeah. Okay. One point for general plot, one point, half a point for specific. Okay. You know what? I'll give you the full point because you did say. I did say. It would have been a lot more impressive if you knew it was going to be Reggie and Archie. But at that point, I would be arguing with you about it. And you would be like, no, half a point would be worth less. Why would it be worth <laughs> less if it was more accurate? Because there were, well, if if it, I guess, the wrong characters. Like the risk of guessing oh, the right characters. That's true. You have to balance Yeah. the specificity and the vagueness. That's so true. That is so true. That's the game we play. <laughs> Every week. (laughs) So then we get a little bit of Betty and then Veronica comes back and she's at school. She brings like a whole film reel set up and she plays a trailer for The Crawling Eye. Cheryl's like, ew, I don't like gory things like that. And also, didn't that come out several years ago? And Veronica's like, we're doing a special re-release with four dimensions. And that's when she tells Dilton to shut up. What did you make of that? I thought that was really silly. He is such a Carl Weezer. <laughs> um, what, what's that one guy from Parks and Rec? The one they all bully. Oh, is it his name like Greg? 
Or is that the name that they, the fake name that they gave him? <laughs> I think that's one of the names they gave him. Remember he had like three. Was it Jerry? And Jerry. Then, and then Gary. Yeah. <laughs> this is the archetype of Dalton's character in season seven, which is kind of funny. It's such a a difference from prime universe Dalton. Yeah. Where he's just a nefarious figure the whole time. He's a hardcore survivalist. Yeah. Why isn't he a hardcore survivalist anymore? He's nothing. He's, he's just not a goofball. A like, he's an easy target. Where is his bunker? It must still exist somewhere. I'm it waiting must. for the bunker to pop it up. I forgot out. about the bunker, but you're so right. Oh my God. If they had the bunker already, Betty would not be a virgin. <laughs> You're right. We need the teenage sex bunker back. That would solve her horniness problem. It would. A secondary location. <laughs> Somewhere secret. Yes. We need that back. Um, so, yes. She hires the boys to perform. Um, it's very DIY. I should get a half a point for the DIY nature of the event. Because I said... She has to get more and more DIY with it, which ultimately causes it to flop. It didn't flop. It was impressive, but it was hella DIY. <laughs> <laughs> the look you're giving me right now. <laughs> um, you want to give me half a point? <laughs> Unless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give you half a point. Yay. Thank you. I'll remember this. I was you gonna never do. I was gonna say, well, it's recorded now, so I will. I can listen back to it. Okay. I wasn't expecting this gimmick to go so well. Um, I don't think Veronica expected it either, but it ended up doing incredibly well. So well that they ran it for the rest of the week. And she called Reggie and Archie into her office to ask them to stay on for the rest of the week. And Reggie was not into it. He was a little bit upset that she would ask him to work for her when she can't even make time to go on a date with him. I think he was a little bit bruised, his ego at least. And she thinks that they're just like haggling for a raise. And so she says, I respect your moxie and your balls. There are a lot of balls jokes about the eyeballs. A surprising amount. I did not expect one, <laughs> let alone several. <laughs> it's cutting edge cutting stuff edge. going on here in Riverdale season seven. In the 1950s, no less. Balls jokes. Balls. Balls. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I don't know why we're doing that shit, but we are. We are, and we have to live with that. So they leave and oh i think reggie stayed back and asked out ronnie if she wanted to go get that milkshake and she said no i have a story going for variety i thought it was archie that stayed back and asked her a favor i don't remember one of them stayed back and asked her something and she probably made another balls joke and (laughs) sent them away She told them to leave their balls with Kevin and Clay. A little gay joke for herself, as well as a ball joke. And then next time we see her, Reggie's waiting for her at the Babylonium. 
She's been busy with business on the phone with that Mr. Roth. It turns out they're interested in the things that she's doing in Riverdale and want to send her more movies. Yay. Good for her. Veronica's happy. She leaves her office. And Reggie got tired of waiting and left behind his flowers. That's so sad. Yeah. Poor guy. Poor guy. And then Veronica goes on home. She puts her key in the lock, but it doesn't work. And Smithers appears from behind and is like, well, sorry. You got kicked out. Your parents changed the locks. And he says he'll have her stuff delivered when she finds a new place to live. He says this to a child. This is child abandonment. This is child abandonment. But it's the 50s, so I don't think those rules exist yet. (laughs) I think, though, I should get half a point for guessing in a different episode that Veronica would move into the Babylonium. You're giving me a lot to think about here. Because on the one hand, you did make that prediction at a different time. And we have been forced to write very similar plot lines to ones we've already written week after week because that's what we're given. And a lot of our reoccurring plots have been kind of accurate. But on the other hand, it wasn't for this episode. You didn't make that prediction again. I've repeated things for different episodes until they've been true. And I only got them because I got them for the right episode. I have been twisting things around to get maximum guesses across the board and to keep it interesting. Although I do repeat things for a suspicion that it might be the correct episode and just to get extra point. Right. Those are just two different playing styles. But they have different results point wise. And so I'm not sure which result that warrants in this case. I think it warrants less than a full point, but some acknowledgement. I definitely think you should get some acknowledgement because that is a trope. Veronica getting kicked out of her parents. And Veronica going to live where she works. Mm-hmm. And children living at movie theaters. Children living at movie theaters? <laughs> what is this? Chuck it at the drive-in season one. Oh, you're right. Hmm. The children love to live in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. I know we don't have a precedent for a quarter point, but that feels, because it wasn't in this episode, a little bit more accurate. But then that's going to be so annoying to tally up. No, it's not. 0.25? Then just give me 0.5. If it's so hard to tally. It's just less satisfying. Because, like, what if you end up with, like, 207.25 points? Okay, okay. What about... We revamp the point system. The value in the previous point system of one point is now 10 points. 10? So all of our one pointers are now 10 pointers. All of our five pointer, half, half pointers half points are, five are five points. We just move the decimal. We move the decimal. Does that make it easier for you? I think that allows a lot more point assignments. Okay. Because I would give this one. Like four points. Four out of ten? Four out of ten. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> oh, I feel like there are some things that I could have gotten more points out of then. <laughs> we, we can revisit it on the repeat week, maybe. 
Okay. The first rerun of summer. The first rerun of summer. It's coming soon in June. Not sure what day it is. You're right. Something special in June. Wink. Um, so that's basically it for Veronica. It took us a long time to get through her because we had a lot of side discussions. <laughs> but there wasn't a lot of um, substance, I would say. No, this was very filler. Yeah. It's just Veronica's doing what Veronica always do, which is girl boss. Business and boys. BBB. Business, boys, body hiding. Body hiding? She's hiding a lot of bodies. Has she? Yeah. At least one. At least one. It is Riverdale. (laughs) Okay. So let's be done with Veronica then for this episode. Okay. For how little they gave us last episode, I was expecting a lot more out of her plot this episode. Same with Betty, although I do think we got some development for Betty. Not much, though. We got a lot about her home life. Yeah. So where we start with Betty is she has to do these counseling sessions with Dr. Werther's. Mm-hmm. And she's been kicked out of the Vixens. They're too sexual for her. Uh, Dr. Werther's calls Betty a nymphomaniac. And then he starts questioning her about sexual things. So gross. This was almost my KO moment right here. Is Werther's asking, what is your first sexual memory? And the memory of Betty popping into her head of her playing Operation with Archie. And Archie poking the thing in Operation and triggering the nose on the Operation Man. What? Yeah. First sexual memory? There was nothing Elaborate. sexual about that scene. I don't understand what that meant. Do you? No. I think... The serial killer jeans. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, the no, no. jeans. The jeans. She would associate pain with pleasure. She would. Especially if we're thinking about her dark Betty with the lingerie and the and the black wig. Mm-hmm. With, um, what's, what's his name? Who wore a wig? Betty. Oh. The guy that she maple syruped. Oh, Chuck. Chuck. That was a good example of pleasure and pain. I guess so. And then we get the montage of Betty going around making out with everyone. Mm -hmm. And she makes out with things on top of a car. She grabs Jughead in the hall and pushes him up against the locker. And she makes out with Veronica in the locker room. And she has a little shower sex with Reggie Uh in her dream. And it all culminates in Betty walking in on Dilton doing a big volcano explosion in the science lab. Uh And the specific volcanic eruption in science class is my 50s fantasy. Really? It was so phallic, so explosive. It was incredibly phallic. It was so over the top. It was artful, really. It was my favorite part of this episode. And you know what? I I understand why you would pick that, especially paired with the song Lollipop. 
in the background during Betty's montage and then popping on the explosion. Lollipop was my song of the episode. Song of the episode. I read right over it, but Lollipop is also my song of the episode. (laughs) Song of the episode. I figured it would be. And I'm angry I didn't put it on my bingo. I know. It was so obvious. It was right there. It was one of the only prominent 50 songs within Riverdale's first six seasons. Mm -hmm. You're so right. Her fucking ringtone. It's the Black Hood's theme song. Yeah. That's the Black Hood's theme. (laughs) Perhaps playing the song conjured the spirit of the Black Hood this episode. Ooh, maybe. Is that possible? Is Is it a motif? A musical motif? I think it is. Wow. Unless they forgot about that. But if you're paying even the slightest attention, it is a musical motif. Riverdale does use musical motifs, especially with the theme song, especially slow down, Mm -hmm. maybe played with another instrument. They do do that shit a lot. They love that shit. I think the Black Hood's coming back. And we'll get to that. Oh, you have something this episode in your predictions? Um, I just have like some analysis of how coming up. Well, anyway, later on, there's a lot of record scratches this episode. A lot of like mm. whipping sounds. A lot of whipping sounds for sure. I didn't notice record scratches, but I believe you. There was a record scratch at the end of this fantasy. <laughs> oh, yeah. That one was. Yeah, that one was obvious. And Dr. Werther's asked, how often do you think about sex? And Betty's like, the normal amount and he's like no amount is normal for girls they don't think about sex <laughs> they get on the topic about if sex is only for having children why does hal have a sexy magazine in his drawer that mm-hmm. betty found she found his girly mags and as she called them and Worthies doesn't give her a real answer he's like that's different he's a man wait 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 she also turns to find that her parents sleep in separate twin beds. Yeah. And I think for predicting something that was the exact opposite of what happened, you should lose a point. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I still think that I got the core of what Alice was trying to do. Just in a very different way. I don't think I should lose points. I definitely don't think I should gain a point. If guess, if <laughs> having a wrong guess could make you lose points. Not a wrong guess, an opposite guess. I don't think mine was opposite, though. You said that Alice was going to talk about her great sex life with Hal. And it Hold seems on. quite the opposite. Let me find the language. I said, Betty should never have sex outside of marriage. I said, this is this is verbatim, okay? Alice tells Betty scary things about sex and the risks. Maybe has a display of birthing photos or various images of STIs and other infections that just look obscene to scare her. Says Betty will get pregnant and die if she has sex ever at all, unless she's married and then it's great, like with her and Hal, further grossing Betty out. But I didn't say that she was specifically going to talk about their sex lives. I said, married sex is good and fine. Okay. That's not opposite. (laughs) Okay. Don't come for me. (laughs) 
fucking rude. I thought you wanted me to be more competitive. Yeah, but like, <laughs> not like that. Okay. Choose your next words carefully. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not losing points. Let's establish that. Oh. <laughs> You're... <laughs> Not for this, at least. You're not losing points for this. The concept of an exact opposite or inversion of a lost point or causing a loss of a point is something we can discuss. It's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting, but we cannot implement it. We can't implement it like just in the middle of an episode. It has to be before we write an episode. So if we decide to do that now, it's not going to affect our episode 10. It would take effect in episode 11 predictions. That's something to think about. We can discuss it later. Okay. Uh, Betty talks about not wanting to marry ever. Uh, Newsflash, Betty, you're engaged. You are 26 and you are engaged. But she was talking about not wanting to get married a lot last season. She was, but she did eventually relent. She did eventually relent because she thought they were all going to fucking die. I don't think she would have accepted if they were not going to die. Do you think this is hinting at a Barchi failure at an endgame? Yeah. Wow. Barchi's Archie are going to be mad at you. more than to be a dad, and ki- a, da- a dad. He loved his dad. He wants to be a great dad like his. If Betty doesn't want to get married, she, I assume, doesn't want to have kids. At least not only be married and have kids, like she says. What if, what if the Riverdale season finale was Archie being gay and living in New York? That would be so good. I would love that. <laughs> I don't know that we're going to get that, but I wish. And then you could get the um, the Archie's Weird Fantasy yeah, points. That would be good. Okay, we got to stay on topic. We've been um, digressing a lot. Let's see. Oh, uh, Alice brings home bridal magazines to Betty. Mm-hmm. Trying to be like, oh, every little girl dreams of her wedding. Let me emotionally emotionally manipulate you because if you got married, that would be my happiest day. And don't you want to make me happy? I've been dreaming of your wedding since you were a baby and you have to do it. Yeah, basically that was that was Alice's first involvement. Very suspicious considering it is something that Alice would just do on a day-to-day basis. She does weird shit like that. But the fact that she did that right after Betty had the conversation with Dr. Werther's makes her a little suspicious. She thinks he's up to something. Next, we see Betty with Dr. Werther's and he's asking about her most frequent vivid sexual dream and he's asking for details. She reveals that it's with a lot of people, but Archie mostly, and it's teacher-student, which is a little yucky when we find out later what betty thinks of dr werther's i'm sure she feels really violated for having revealed this and so then we see a montage of her being a teacher looking like alice with archie and reggie and fangs and i think we also see veronica etc and then she like starts making out with this student and then she turns and realizes that it's in the middle of class After she tells him about this and he's just like feverishly scribbling away, she's a little bit more suspicious of him, asks why he's taking notes and he's like, it's none of your concern. And she tells him that she wrote about things in her diary. All her dreams are in her diary and says that for her, sexuality is not an obsession, 
but it's more about being seen as a person with autonomy and she wants to understand herself through understanding her desires which fine that makes sense very emotionally mature Mm -hmm. some might say the emotional maturity of a 26 year old fully developed frontal cortex Mm -hmm. you would think an adult was sitting there not a child especially when he calls her a child and she's like i'm not a child she knows she has the emotional memory of adulthood and so betty goes home after that and alice is there with a presbyterian priest to exercise her after reading her diaries Mm -hmm. and betty is of course mad this is a classic alice move read the diaries and Betty is reminded of something that happened during a Dr. Werther session when he explained that he was writing stuff down kind of like a diary. And she is inspired to get him back. She breaks into his office and unlocks his desk with a bobby pin. Mm-hmm. And Betty with a bobby pin is a bingo item for me. Mm-hmm. And you get that. Yay. And she finds what inside there? None other than the book Lolita. Among other things. And she's like, I don't know how to read, but I know someone who does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she goes and finds Jughead. I didn't realize that they were friends. It's because they're not. Exactly. So why did she, why was her instinct to go to him? Her instinct to go to him was so that it could perfectly mirror Veronica's plot, where Jughead is in the beginning of the story. He's in the middle when they both come to him for advice, and he's at the end. Mm. It's more for the sake of the story parallel than it is for trueness to the characters. Okay, fair enough. And maybe potential fodder for the bugheads. Potential, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I understand. When she's unlocking the desk drawer with the bobby pin, she doesn't say Nancy Drew. She says Tracy True. That doesn't feel right. Tracy True is season four. Before that, it was all Nancy Drew. Oh, you're right. It became Tracy True when they also included the Baxter brothers. Yes. But they mean Nancy Drew. They mean Nancy Drew and they mean Hardy brothers. Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was weird, but you're right. I thought like it was Tracy True first and then became Nancy Drew. But it was Nancy Drew first and then became Tracy True. Yeah. Okay. Clarifying point for me. <laughs> and you know what? When they changed it, it was because it was part of a plot. You're right. So if we notice anything else change, something is afoot. Something is afoot. Me or thinks. they didn't get the sponsorship. Like skit scat. So she asks Jughead what the book is about. He tells her it's about a professor with a 12-year-old girl Betty's freaked out, but he says, I mean, who are we to pass moral judgments on literature? And we are within our right to do so, I think, but I don't know. And Betty decides she's going to read it anyway. And she finds that even though it seems like a book for perverts, um, she takes away kind of a defense of the girl. And that opens her eyes for her return to Dr. Werther's. So she goes back the next day at school and she is like, I'm not going to our meeting today, but we'll have plenty to discuss next time. And she walks away and then she comes back later and she tells him she confronts Werther's that she dug through his drawer. She found Lolita 
and she's like why do you have this you fucking pervert and he's like i only read it to understand your mind and she's like the girl is 12 years old like and he's like she's sex crazed and she said that it's not she's not sex crazed she's a girl and that it's not okay for him to be asking her all of these intrusive questions and taking notes she accuses him of reading his notes and revisiting what she has to say about her sexual desires for pleasure and she tells him to fuck off and i wrote in quotes he is stunned silent honey she destroyed him she did yeah she absolutely destroyed him and you know what his silence is confirmation it is and the fact the fact that later he drops betty as he drops betty completely saying that he will not work with her anymore proves her point Werther's is a literal idiot for this. There was an easier, more believable lie here. And it was, I confiscated that from a student. Obviously. Obvious confiscation. Like, he's all about the book banning committee. Like, he could have easily lied, but he didn't because he was so stunned to be found out by the truth. And Betty absolutely demolishing Werther's. Um, was my 50s fantasy. Really? I decided to give it to her instead of one of the actual fantasies that were in this episode um, as a way of honoring her standing up for herself and refusing her to have her desires um, exploited or like fetishized by anyone and refusing to be shamed for having sexual desires. So my 50s fantasy goes to her, her confidence. An interesting use of the fantasy. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Your favorite sexual moment. My favorite sexual moment is her refusing to let her sexual moments be fetishized by Dr. Werther's. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Betty goes home after this and Alice confronts Betty because she just got off the phone, which, by the way, is the same phone. That phone has not changed. Maybe that's a clue. No. The call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> that did happen. That was Jellybean. Mm-hmm. Um, Betty is like, no, I can't go back to him. Blah, 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 blah. They kind of get into this fight and Betty is like digging Mm -hmm. for something from Alice. And Alice kind of admits that she's afraid of Betty. Betty is trying to figure out what she means by that when Hal storms in, interrupts. He's like, this is my house. And I don't like the way you're talking. Go to your room. Mm -hmm. I'm ending this conversation. He says, Alice is the best wife and mother in the world and Betty doesn't deserve her when all she does is sacrifice. And he prevented Alice from revealing something here. Mm -hmm. Betty was about to find out what Alice is sacrificing and what for. And the reason that they are willing to sacrifice is the fear of Betty. And like, why are they afraid? There are like layers to this conversation this outburst from the family. It feels like a potential Betty reveal or a reveal of some, oh, a potential Polly reveal or a reveal of something hap- 
opening in my season episode 10. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm glad you're using that because I have no idea what's going to happen there. I didn't develop that. Well, if we're going on with the same patterns of previous seasons, there are a few different routes that could take. (laughs) So after that, the next morning, Betty comes out to the kitchen and she's like, hi, mom. Like, can we talk? And Alice says, I am not your mother anymore. And she disowns Betty, tells her to make her own damn breakfast. Mm -hmm. Storms out. I feel like Alice's anger in that moment towards Betty was misplaced anger. I think she meant that anger to be released on Hal, but she put it on Betty instead because Betty's an easier easier person to shut out. Do you think it could also be protective? I think so. Protective... Like, but I think there is a real anger in her sentiment, but I don't think it's meant for Betty. And I think she's using it on Betty as a protective measure. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Um, and that's where we leave Betty, right? Mm-hmm. And the third plot, the least developed of them, yep. is Jughead. So we start off with Jughead being depressed at Pops. And for the whole entire episode, that is what he's doing. He's mm-hmm. just reading comics or he's reading Ray Bradbury's stuff and drinking milkshakes. He's holding them out for a real one. Yeah. Where does he get money? I guess he has a job now, but like he hasn't been there for days. He has a job. Oh, right. At the comics. But also what happened with Pep Comics? We just dropped Pep Comics. We did just drop them. Um, yeah, he's not really he doesn't really do much other than support or like. So, yeah, he just supports Veronica and Betty in their own times of need. At the end is when he gets any real plot. And he's sitting in his booth. He's like on the verge of tears. He just finished rereading the works of Ray Bradbury. Not Ray Bradbury, Brad Rayberry. With themes of time passing, seasons changing, people move on and let go, blah, blah, blah. Just when he's about to close the book and finish reading the story of Brad Rayberry and let him off into the ether of his soul, None other than Sheriff Keller walks in and says, Jughead, we're going to need your help to solve this case. And Sheriff Keller asking Jughead for help is my KO moment. Absolutely. That is so valid. (laughs) Not a single time has Sheriff Keller thought to do this. It is so against his character. He would prefer to investigate things alone in the wrong direction for years mm-hmm. than get a lead from a teenager. It has to be like a false a false start or something. I don't know. It can't be real. It can't be real. I didn't really develop this in my next season, but I can see how you could. I did a little bit. Mostly Sheriff Keller doing this is so against his character that it must be to forward some sort of plot Mm. in the next episode. And I think that plot is probably going to involve Sheriff giving Jughead privileged information. I see. That he otherwise wouldn't have gotten on his own. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the only reason. To give him privileged information to start his investigation. Yes. To really get up a plot going. Mm -hmm. A long-term plot. Hopefully. God. It's a real slow burn this season, guys. That's why it's been rough, I realize. Like, it's it's just been episode plots. It hasn't been an overarching plot. 
And you know what? Now the commercials interrupt me. And yeah. I feel like more annoyed by them. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, necessary reprieve. Yeah. But now we're just like, hurry it up. Just slogging through. Slogging. The great slog. The great slog. It's arrived, folks. Uh, shall I get into my predictions? Before. Oh. We have not named our HBICs. Oh. oh. Do you want to go first? Okay. For her emotional maturity for her standing up for herself for drawing boundaries for her emotional intelligence for her level of perception and willpower and self-awareness i have to give it to betty H-B-I-C. Head bitch in chaos. yeah that's great very valid it feels a little weird giving her the HBIC title. That's normally something for something chaotic going mm-hmm. on. However, that bitch in chaos. There were not a lot of chaos people this episode. I did consider Cheryl for leading the charge <laughs> in Veronica's plot. That but, was funny, but it was a pretty minor detail. So, well, I didn't give mine to Betty, but. For conspiring with her daughter's therapist and breaking patient-doctor confidentiality and probably HIPAA. For literally calling the priest of a church they attended several years ago without being consistent. For refusing to talk to her daughter and only scheming and manipulating to get through to her. Alice is my HBIC. HBIC. Head bitch in chaos. You're totally right. I did consider her, and you've convinced me. Alice is also my HBIC. 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 Head bitch in chaos. Wow. She was really conniving. She was. I love, I think that's what I love about her character, is that she's incapable of having, like, any directness. She only communicates her feelings for people through schemes and manipulation. Yeah, that's how she shows love. You're yeah. absolutely correct. And I respect it in, <laughs> in the context of a TV show. Mm-hmm. So she's my HBIC. That's so funny that you changed. I know. I feel proud of myself. I did a good one then. Let's get into episode 10. Speaking let's, of minds changing. Let's do it. It seems like you're absolutely dying to talk about yours. Would you like to go first? Sure. So the official synopsis. Chapter 127, American Graffiti, undertitled The Mystery of Brad Rayberry. So Jughead and Tabitha team up to investigate a mystery involving Ray Bradbury. Cheryl asks Tony if she can attend an after-school book club with her and other black students. Betty and Veronica ask Archie and Reggie out on a double date, and Fangs prepares for his first big gig. Casey Cott also stars. So I'm going to start with Jabatha. I think Jughead is going to go into Keller's office first thing before school at the end of this long weekend of grieving. The cop's view of Ray Berry is that he's a dangerous communist with dishonorably... He was arrested for dishonorably avoiding the draft of the Korean War. And he was being investigated by the FBI at the time of his death. Because of that, Charles is going to come in and take charge of completing the case charles charles are we predicting like 
a new older character appearing every episode <laughs> until they're older <laughs> for I, the finale. <laughs> I think it's possible. I mean, if we I love think that. about it, he was healed and alive in Riverdale at the time of the comet. Where is he? Where is he? <laughs> Where is he? I'm Kaylee? waiting. So I think Charles is coming to finish investigating investigating this case on behalf of the FBI since they were already investigating him. His death seems mysterious to them. And so they think he was um, hiding something before he killed himself. So they're going to try to finish off the case. But Jughead finds all of this out um, as he approaches Keller. Because it was someone so close to Jughead, Keller lets him review the files. In the files, we see things that like his little communist party card. I saw that in the trailer. We also see like warrants for arrest, maybe transcripts from court cases. Jughead's going to learn a lot about him, the way that the government views him, and it's going to, it's not a good look. Um, So Jughead's a little surprised. He's like, wow, I can't believe this guy I looked up to hated everything so much, including the country, that he would be like a threat. So then he's going to go to school disheartened, feeling a little deflated after his hero daddy is brought down in the eyes of the law. He's going to tell Tabitha about it and he's going to reveal that he's not sure anymore. He's doubtful because a man like that with so much conviction who would uh, get arrested instead of going to partake in a war he doesn't believe in. He doesn't think that kind of guy would just kill himself. And now he's not sure. She thinks his gut is probably right. And so they decide to investigate themselves. They break into the apartment and start finding clues They're going to find a photo of a woman that I think was maybe one of his former lovers and co-conspirators in the Communist Party. On the back of the photo, we see the photo. It's like a half a second. It's like two frames of the photo in the trailer. I like was hitting my space bar so many times to get a glimpse of this. It was a black woman. And on the back, it had the date June 1948, I think. Um, I can't find where I wrote it down. But so I think that's going to be a former lover and Communist Party member. I think they're going to go through his stuff and find scribbles in the margins of his books, communist writings and other incriminating evidence that were clearly planted that Jughead had never seen before in his visits there. I think it's going to end on Jabatha finding out something big about the woman in the photo, revealing a twist to the mystery. That's all I have. I'm mostly excited that Charles is coming back. <laughs> I hope he's coming back. And maybe that's why they haven't dropped another trailer yet. Maybe. We're recording this on Monday afternoon and there's not been a second trailer yet. So for Shoney, I think Cheryl's going to feel entitled to all aspects of Tony's life, <laughs> including the Black Student Literary Society. Tony's not going to want to include her there. And Cheryl's going to reveal that she gave her personal money to start the club. So she basically owes it, owns it. And wants to be welcomed as an ally, ready to learn from black people on how best to help black people. AKA, she's going to be problematic. I think race and Cheryl's desire to center herself in the narrative of black liberation is going to put even further of a wedge into their relationship. But they're going to decide to get around it and to work through it by Tony educating Cheryl on why it's fucked up of her to think that she owns a club and like where black students can gather and has a right to be there when she doesn't. And it sucks that Tony's going to have to do this work, but I don't see Cheryl learning any other way. 
And they're going to decide that in addition to having a Black Student Literary Club, they should also have like a GSA type of club, but for race. (laughs) (laughs) Where white people and people of color can gather in harmony and learn about each other's cultures in a non-judgmental space and learn how they can be allies for each other. And they call it colorblind. (laughs) (laughs) Probably something shitty like that, yeah. But that's kind of it for what I have for Shoni. They're going to have this tension and then they're going to talk about it right away, which I don't think is that likely. They always, they're very avoidant. Mm Mm-hmm. So then we're going to get to Barchi Veggie. So Alice isn't talking to Betty at all. She's fully ignoring her, doesn't cook or clean for her anymore. She's truly washed her hands of Betty. But Hal can't forgive Betty for pushing Alice to the brink. Behind closed doors, he's plotting a way to suppress her urges and independence once and for all. And now that Alice is done with her, he has an opening. So as the audience, we're going to be aware of what he's doing and see the moves he's making. But Betty's not going to know until it's too late. But because of this, Betty feels free. And Veronica is also reveling in the freedoms of adulthood and having no reliance on her parents anymore. Betty feels free of her parents' eyes too, so they're going to plan a double date. Finally, she gets to go out with Archie. So after cruising through Riverdale, they oh, they go on a date at Pops. And then afterwards, they go cruising through Riverdale in their cars where they're going to encounter Julian and his goons. And they're going to challenge them to a drag race. Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Julian's car is going to roll off of the road into a ravine. And some girl in the car with him, maybe like not Midge, but like a Midge type, like a side character is going to be in it. And they're going to roll. They're going to get out of the car safely, uninjured. um, And Archie is going to help them out and help them to safety only moments before it bursts into flames. This plot is taken very closely from American Graffiti. (laughs) I have a very similar plot I took from America Graffiti as well. American. Whatever. I've never seen the movie. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason I did that is because I thought that this episode title was a little weird. And whenever it's a little weird, it means that the content within the movie is going to be inspiration for something in the episode. Right, when it doesn't make sense otherwise. I do think it's a little weird that they are using American Graffiti when that's a movie from the 70s telling the story of something in the 60s. Wrong era. Like, I don't know. They claim to be, or they give the vibe that they want to be as period accurate as possible, and yet they do shit like this. And like... They mess with the timelines in weird ways. That is just like a little confusing to me. But anyway, I think it's going to be like the car, the drag racing scene. What else could it be? (laughs) So then we get to Fang's show. That's my last thing. In an attempt to get more use out of the Babylonium and make more money so that she can start to afford rent somewhere else, Veronica is going to tell Fang's she's going to open the Babylonium as like a, a performance space as a in addition to the to it being a movie theater the first performance to kick it off she's going to ask Fangs to come and do a concert there he feels like he's outgrown the dark room it gets too crowded and it's not a big enough space for his name anymore since he's you know on a time crunch to get famous so he's going to do a mix of covers and originals but we're probably only going to hear as the audience of Riverdale the show a cover 
of a 50 song, which I don't know what we're going to get. Probably an Elvis song would be my guess. Maybe a Johnny Cash song. I think I should get some points if it's either of those two. I think this is going to be kind of just like a side plot. I think a lot of the side cast will be there. Maybe just one of the events of the date night. Maybe they'll start at the concert or start at Pops, go to the concert, and then go cruising. I think it's mostly going to be a, an event for the side cast. Kevin will open up for Fangs. Clay is also there. <laughs> um, I think Shoni's going to have a cute, like, almost PDA moment. Perhaps, like, think Britanna pinky holding down the hallways. I think something like that between Shoni in public. And I think that's it for the Fangs plot. Other American graffiti type things might ensue. I think a car will get stolen while a couple goes off to have sex or make out, stealing the car back when they find it later. I think Dilton is maybe going to see Twyla have prolonged eye contact with her and think he has fallen in love and spend the rest of the night trying to find out who she is and not believing when Julian tells her him that Twyla is a prostitute going really hard on the american graffiti i'm trying to cast a wide net so i can get some points because i think one of these things will be true but i don't think all of them will be i think the most likely are the car crash after a drag race or dilton and twyla and that's that's it that's those are the only other thoughts i had all right mostly i'm excited for charles and to see dilton do some stupid shit all right that's your whole episode 10 that's my whole episode 10 all right great awesome pretty simple straightforward you seem to be better at this than i am so i don't know that that's true but we'll see we have yours we have some similarities all right my first plot is jughead and tabitha jabitha so as i said previously sheriff keller is going to enlist jughead's help why because he Heard about or saw Jughead reading all these Brad Rayberry books today. And he realized that in the crime scene, there's a almost ready-to-be-published book that's just being revised. And he's like, why would someone kill themselves right before they're going to publish a book? They already wrote the book. The book's done. There's an intention there to publish it. Doesn't make sense. And that's he, a good point. And he saw Jughead doing that. He did a little little uh, gossiping around, found out Jughead and him were close. And he's like, what happened here, boy? <laughs> boy. <laughs> and so Jabatha does a little investigating in the Rayberry apartment. They have been given special access. Mm. And they find that Rayberry's writing samples don't match the suicide note. So it's a handwritten suicide note. It's a handwritten suicide note. And it does not match. Or if it is a typewriter note, it's from a different typewriter. Oh, like a different font or different size. Or a different spacing. Something that they can... The ink is off. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Rayberry did not write this note. Okay. So Jughead is maybe going to find something in the apartment that links it to a milkman-like figure. Mm. Or to the mugs somehow interesting and that's going to lead to jughead visiting the mugs's home with sheriff keller's blessing to look for clues 
I was going to ask while they are there or not. And obviously while they're not there. Because <laughs> no one is no one is occupying that house. Exactly. It's an empty house. Mm-hmm. There's no one in it. <laughs> <laughs> so he finds a clue in there. Sheriff Keller is not with him. He was just like, yeah, sure. Do what you need to do. So he just Naturally. went in there. Um, he found a clue. Uh, he can't make sense of this clue without Ethel. So he tries to go and visit her at the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. And he does, except Ethel isn't really able to tell him anything. She's kind of like catatonic. She can't really respond to conversations at this time. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Maybe it's a lobotomy. Maybe it's just some drugs. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's Maybelline. We don't know. It wouldn't be product placement. It would be like Maybelline. <laughs> <laughs> they had CoverGirl for a long time. Would they get their rival though? Maybe. CoverGirl ended <laughs> pretty abruptly. Yeah, true. They would have rivals. Um, and Jughead is like, well, that was weird. <laughs> Later that night, Jughead is going to go to the sheriff's office with this clue. And do something important with it that I will reveal in a later plot. He's also going to plead with the sheriff to go to the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. He's like, they're doing fucked up stuff there, dude. Like, that shit's illegal. Go save them. Sheriff Keller's like, no. So. (laughs) Uh, Naturally. Like, of course, he's not going to give a shit. Jabatha is going to break in to the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. And on their way to looking for Ethel, they happen upon a room with an electric chair in it. And Sister Woodhouse comes up from behind them and <laughs> gives them like a tranquilizer shot and knocks them out. Oh my gosh. And that's how they're going to end? That's how they're going to end. Oh my God. So I have Sister Woodhouse coming back and you have Charles. <laughs> Two very prominent, successful serial killers. Indeed. Riverdale needs more of them. Where have the killers gone? Where have the killers gone? Rass? Riverdale is not Riverdale without a killer in sight. And I have seen nary a killer thus far. I agree. I agree. Ross really said, how about a season just of like novelty filler? It's this so is our annoying. Last, this is our last chance. Our last go of it. Give us something good. It's really disappointing. Um, anyway, the next plot is Shoni in the book club. So, Tony starts another club that's a spinoff from the Literary Society. Hmm. Because as we know, the Literary Society is a magazine, a journal, I should say. And a book club is a book club. So, I think these are two separate things. And I think the purpose of it is going to be what Tony talked about earlier in season one, where they don't learn books from black authors. And she's going to be like, let's learn together the books that are being kept from us that are like part of our culture part of our identity and cheryl because she loves tony just wants to follow her everywhere she also wants to be in this club and she makes the argument that like well if you want me to learn and be a better partner for you i should be here and tony doesn't like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) she's like this is not your space this is the space for like me tabitha and clay (laughs) yeah just a space for poc to learn about poc not like reconnect with their own cultures and identities 
Right. So yeah. she's going to say something. Cheryl's going to be upset and leave. And then Tabitha and Clay are going to be like, listen, Tony, you should let her in. She's right. Like, you can't just, like, shut her out and expect her to, like, just let Cheryl in. Like, you can't keep shutting her out. You have to let her learn. And so they're going to welcome Cheryl back into the club and add Kevin. No. And maybe Betty. Kevin. <laughs> He's Clay's boyfriend. That is where we end the shoddy plot. Okay. Kind of similar vibes. Very similar, yeah. Like, uh, why can't I be a part of your black student group, I, even though I'm white? And then, well, white people also need to learn, so maybe let's do something about it. Exactly. Same, same shit, different poophole. <laughs> that's really what they said that's what we said <laughs> <laughs> that's what they said the plan is mm -hmm. and indeed it is <laughs> the next plot the last real plot really mm -hmm. is the double date with archie betty and veronica reggie so i predict that julian is gonna bully archie and reggie and challenge them to a drag race mm -hmm. his fancy car versus archie's hot rod and betty and veronica are gonna turn this into the date and cheryl is gonna start the drag race just like she does in whatever previous season there's that drag race against the ghoulies uh -huh. i think season three correct me if i'm wrong I don't know if you're wrong, but I think that's right. That happened early. Season two, maybe season three. Yeah. And during the race, Julian gets thrown off the main course. Mm. And the gang and Cheryl have to go looking for him. And they find Julian inside a flipped car where he is injured but not dead. Veronica gets arrested by Sheriff Keller for attempted murder. After word gets around that she was present at the death of James Dean and evidence was found that Julian's car was tampered with. <gasps> Julian's car was tampered with? They cut his brakes. Oh my God. <gasps> wow. And this is where Jughead presents his evidence that links the milkman to Julian's car and not Veronica, thereby freeing Veronica from jail and like she once did for him yes evening the score between them closing officially any bughead things moving forward well thank god for that um but you never said what the evidence that jughead presents was i don't know what it's gonna be oh i thought you said that you would get to that but okay no maybe it'll be like a milk can lid if you <laughs> want me to predict something it's fine you don't have to predict something <laughs> um i was just expecting that you would based on what you said earlier, but that's fine. Continue. Okay. The least important plot. The least important plot is called Fang's First Gig. And in Fang's First Gig, Veronica puts on a movie with live music and Fang's is doing the music. And that's all I have. Okay. Like one of those orchestra music performance things exactly i couldn't find a rock movie though so i think they're just going to get creative with it okay that's interesting that would be cool to see them do very much like an art film mm -hmm. kind of thing like a silent movie that they add music to yeah, yeah. exactly that could be pretty cool mm -hmm. that's what i got all right 
a lot of overlap in our episodes this week. This is, yes, which for me, me means that I'm feeling pretty good about it. When we have a lot of the same things, that makes me think that we're reaching for the most obvious things and they're going to do something to subvert all of our beliefs and ideas. Well, I'm pretty sure we have Drag Race. I think Drag Race is probably going to happen. We saw those photos from earlier, remember, like of the actors filming at night in the forest with the cars. Oh, you're right. That's Veronica what, and Betty and Cheryl and Tony. That's what solidified this for me. That one seemed like a Veronica Shoney double date moment to me, though. It did, but I don't, I don't know how to make that work. Yeah. In fine. our current standing. But anyway. That's all I got. I'm looking forward to it. The promise of an overarching plot to get the episodes connected finally is giving me a little hope. I don't like the idea that every episode is standalone. I don't like it either. I guess that's probably more true to the comics because aren't a lot of the comics like standalone like these are evergreen characters where they're like kids all the time in certain renditions. Sure but it's too true to the comics and it's straying too far from Riverdale. I agree. There's a balance and they have not yet struck it of being true to the comics in the spirit but also being true to Riverdale as what it's become. It's become a camp masterpiece. And I do feel like they're letting that go a little bit this uh, this season. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of really cool things could have been done with uh, colliding timelines and stuff. Yeah. Jug... I called him Jughead. Cole Sprouse in <laughs> interviews has stated when asked about the time period of Riverdale that it's like not really modern time, but like somewhere in like a nostalgic parallel universe that's kind of 50s but kind of not and that leads me to believe he got that straight from the horse's mouth aka Ras. and for Ras mm. to like stray so far from that and to commit just to the 50s and not doing any kind of colliding world some modern technologies exist or yeah maybe in this universe ronald reagan was never president (laughs) one can only hope (laughs) there's a world out there where he never won yeah just like some kind of like different historical stuff i know ronald reagan is much later i don't know eisenhower's the president yeah someone who's not him mccarthy (laughs) never got elected senator yeah the fbi never assembled (laughs) i don't know when did the fbi assemble i don't know i do know for a fact that they undocumented um or unclassified documents the fbi did of their case against ray bradbury in like 2013 or 2014 or something so they were at least around in this time frame they have notes on him going back to like the 40s so at least well, they could have done some digging, I suppose. But they were at least researching him in the in the 50s. So that's where my my him being a communist plot comes from. And the fact that I saw the Communist Party card. Because if you're a commie, you get issued a card with your name on it that states that you're a communist. Did you, do you, did you get your card yet? No, not yet. Yeah, they haven't sent me mine either. <laughs> 
Special thanks to Ben Chatwin for the iconic intro music. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave us a review and follow us at Riverdale Writers Pod on all social platforms. If you are at all involved with the production of Riverdale, or you just want to say hi, email us at RiverdaleWritersPod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. TTFN!